from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. If you would like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it can be found on page 7 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Our second text is from the gospel, or from the writer of the gospel, Luke, his second volume, the book of Acts, the first chapter, verses six through eight, page 110 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning. Even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is the final week of our sermon series entitled Lead Like Jesus. It was born out of our long-range strategic plan, and our hope was to engage uh, the congregation both in worship and in a Sunday school context, uh, to engage the congregation with an invitation to embody a leadership life rooted in the way of Jesus. In other words, rooted in the example of Jesus' servant leadership. And, and during this series, what we have done over the last several weeks, what we've done is we've looked at the life of Jesus, and we've tried to distill and to discover some of the core habits or, or core competencies 
that signify or, or are emblematic of Jesus's servant leadership. And so over the course of this sermon series, we've talked about the competencies of developing others. We've talked about stewardship. We've talked about authentic listening and, and persuasion. We've talked about empathy and healing. We've talked about vision, and we've talked about intuition. And this way of leading, this leadership life, all along, we have been convicted that this way of leading in the world, to lead like Jesus, is founded and grounded on his life. It's founded and grounded on his witness. He is our exemplar. He is our model. He is our guide for what servant leadership is all about. And if we are wise, as it says in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, if we are wise, we will build our lives. We will build our leadership on his example and on his teaching. He said it like this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them, hears these words and does them, will be like a wise person who built their house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. So as we launch into this final week in this uh, servant leadership sermon series, Lead Like Jesus, let me state something that I think will be quite obvious to all of you. Leadership. Leadership is not a private affair. Leadership is not a private affair. Leadership, if it is leadership, lives in public. Leadership lives in public. To say it another way, in order for someone to be a leader, they by default have to have followers, right? And, and those followers see how the leader behaves. They listen to what the leader says, not in some closet somewhere, but out in public, out in space, out in real time. Leadership happens in public contexts. What is more, Christianity, Christianity, and I'm quoting Jim Wallace here, Christianity, while deeply personal, while deeply personal, is not private. Christianity is not private. To be a follower of Jesus does not simply mean affirming some theological construct that exists in some ivory tower high above society, nor is it about disconnecting from society in some personalized piety where we just get away. Look, theology and piety are important, but at the heart of it, Christianity is about being a public witness. That's what Jesus says in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses out in public. He says it in, in Matthew chapter 7, that you will put these words of mine into practice out in public. Have you ever worn your team's jersey or your team's colors in an opposing team's stadium? Show of hands if anybody's ever done that. Now, many of you know this. I'm from Philadelphia. I am, for better or for worse, a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. 
And I remember the very first time I wore my Philadelphia Eagles jersey on the road. Uh, it was a game in New York. Technically, it was North Jersey. That's a little dig to the Giants fans. It was in North Jersey. I went there to root on my Eagles as they played the New York football Giants. And I proudly, I proudly wore my jersey despite the boorish and hostile language hurled at my friends and me. I proudly wore it despite getting a beer bath in the third quarter. I proudly wore it as the game came to an end and we were exiting the stadium. I proudly wore it even though the Eagles had given up a record 12 sacks and lost the game 16 to three. You see, I have this rule of thumb when it comes to sports and their fans. I think that your loyalty, I think your loyalty to your team should travel with you. I'm going to put the flag in the ground on that one. Your loyalty should travel with you. You shouldn't only wear your jersey when you're at home. You should wear your jersey when you watch your team on the road, even in a hostile away stadium. I think you should cheer for them when they are terrible, and I think you should cheer for them when, you are, are, when, you, when they are on top. Our family went to our first Bulldogs game in Athens just yesterday. I see a lot. I'm so glad to see so many who were there who are at church this morning. So glad for that. By kickoff, by kickoff, UGA was a 41-point favorite. I mean, that's hard to do. A 41-point favorite. Georgia actually fell short of the point spread, underachievers, as they only beat... The University of Massachusetts Minutemen, 66 to 27. Now, here's what is, was one of the amazing things that I observed yesterday in Athens. Even at Samford Stadium, in a sea of red, there were actually UMass fans in attendance in Athens, Georgia. There were UMass fans that were there. Two of them literally were dressed up in 18th century garb looking like revolutionary Minutemen. Looking like them and going around the outside of the hedges trying to find UMass fans to cheer them up. Despite the fact that they were huge underdogs, you could see right behind the UMass bench, maroon and white. Fans, maybe they were all parents of players, but fans rooting for the Minutemen. Despite the fact that their program was no match for the powerhouse that is Georgia football, they still showed up. They still wore their colors and they supported their team in a very public way. Well, following Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, and this is going back to Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the home stadium. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but you'll also be, in my, be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You see, what Jesus was saying to his disciples there was that if you're going to be my follower, you're going to need to wear your jersey both home and away. 
You're going to need to wear your jersey no matter where you are. There is no geographical limit to your witness. There's no geographical limit. To follow Jesus and to claim the very name Christian means to wear his jersey at home and on the road and to carry out a witness in every space and in every sphere of our lives. And I think that's what it means to lead like Jesus in public. This leadership life is not a life lived in private. It's a life lived in public. It means to lead by following Jesus' lead in public and in every public sphere and domain of our existence, even when we feel like we're at an away stadium, even when we feel like we're in enemy territory, even when we feel like we're being booed, even when we feel like hostilities are coming our way. Now, I'm fully aware of the challenge that this call brings. I'm fully aware of how difficult it is to receive this invitation. Sometimes I wish in my own life, I wish that Jesus wasn't so totalizing and comprehensive with this. I wish he wasn't so totalizing and comprehensive with his call in all this ends of the earth business. I wish he would have said, you will be my witnesses to the end of your driveway. Or, or I, I, I wish he would have said, you will be my witnesses to the end of your pew. Or you will be my witnesses to the end of this sermon. Or to the end of Sunday school class or Bible study. You'll be my witnesses to the end of your volunteerism. You'll be my witnesses to the end of, of this good deed or this good act. You'll be my witnesses to the end of this prayer. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. I have a question for us this morning. Where would it be for you? Where would it be for you in your own life? Where have you set limits on your public witness? Where have you set limits on your public witness? Where have you said, I'm just not going to wear the jersey there? I'm just not going to do it. People of all ages here this morning, think about that in your own life. Where is that place now, I'm not suggesting that you think about places where you're afraid or hesitant to talk about your faith. That's not what I'm talking about. Nor am I talking about the places where it is deemed to be culturally or professionally inappropriate to talk about faith. That's not what I'm talking about here this morning. What I'm talking about are the public spheres of your life where you lack integrity between what you believe about how you want to show up in the world and how you're actually showing up. Do you follow me? What you hope to be when you show up in the world, what you know God is calling you to be when you show up in the world, and how you're actually showing up. I'm talking about that space where there's a disconnect between the vision, the hope, and the reality of your life. I'm talking about the public places where you have put a self-imposed limit on your witness. That's what I'm talking about this morning. I have a friend who owns a, a construction company, 
And, and several years ago, this is many years ago, as his company was literally on the verge of bankruptcy, literally, he, he had no jobs lined up. He lived in a little apartment, his wife and two young children. He had all this equipment. He invested all this in industrial, large construction equipment, and he had no projects lined up. He had no idea what the next day would bring. When all of a sudden, out of the blue, a little company called Nextel reached out to him. And Nextel had heard that he had this industrial uh, equipment, and they wanted him to do something that he never heard of. They wanted him to build a cell phone tower. They wanted him to build a cell phone tower. He said, sure, what's a cell phone tower? And so they explained the mechanics and the, the construction of it, and he used this equipment to build his first cell phone tower. Many years later, he has built hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cell phone towers up and down the East Coast. Now, cell phone towers, of course, what they do is that they provide coverage right, for phone usage within a certain geographic region. So right now there is some cell phone tower somewhere nearby that if we were to make a call or get some data, that's where we're pinging off of. But once you get in your car and you drive east back to Decatur, you drive up to, to Buckhead, wherever you're going, if you're walking home to Midtown, you're going to come across another, another ping, another cell phone tower is going to pick your phone up. Right, and today, it, we'd be hard pressed to really find places where you can't get good cell phone coverage, right? Maybe in the mountains somewhere here and there. But today, we sort of take it for granted that our cell phones just simply have coverage no matter where we go. Now, back in the day when cell phone companies were trying to get a competitive edge, right, with the other companies that were, were trying to claim uh, their space in the market, right? Do you remember some of the commercials? You have to be a certain age to remember these commercials. But when they were first coming out, the companies, what they would do is they would put maps up on the television, right? As part of their commercial. Do you remember this? And, and they'd be color-coded maps, right? And there's one particular company that likes the color red, right? And they would fill in the map with a bunch of red. And they say, you should go with us because this is where we cover. And the only like sort of white spaces were in like North Dakota, right? Remember that? And then they would show like a competitor's map, which I think they made up, and it would be like totally white space and blotchy, right? It would be white space and blotchy. And what they were trying to do is say, we provide more coverage than our competitors, right? Remember those maps? Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to think about your life as one of those maps. And, and pick whatever your favorite color is. Think about your life as one of those maps. And think about the places where there is color, where there is coverage, where there is a witness. Think about those places where you have no problem wearing a jersey, where you have no problem establishing a spiritual cell phone tower. Think of those places in your life. But now I want you to think about the white space. Where are the spaces where you don't have coverage? Where are the spaces where there isn't a witness? Those public spaces. Where would there be no color on the map of your life right now? Perhaps those white spaces are the places you are most conflicted. Perhaps those are the places where you struggle with integrity. Perhaps those are the places where you most compartmentalize life. Oh, our day and age in the 21st century, we're master compartmentalizers. 
Or maybe they're the places where idolatry is easily identifiable. Or perhaps those white spaces are the very places you feel furthest away from God. Those would be the places, I think, where when challenged either in a sermon or maybe in a Sunday school class or maybe you're just reading the scripture on your own or maybe a brother or sister in the faith comes up to you and invites you to see something from a different perspective, that your first response, your instinct is to be defensive, that maybe deep down inside what you're saying is, oh, the gospel has limits. It can shape my life over here, but it certainly can't shape my life over there. You need to stay out of that part of my life. We get defensive. Those are the white spaces where we say, oh, the gospel has nothing to say to me in this sphere of life. Friends, I say this with with humility, and I apply it first and foremost to my own life. There is not one area of our existence, public or private, not one sphere of our existence, from money to politics to ecology to mental health to relationships to worldview, there's not one area of our lives where Jesus does not claim his lordship. There is not one area where the gospel is off limits. If it goes to the ends of the earth, it certainly goes to the ends of your life. It goes to the ends of our lives. And people who lead like Jesus, they know that he wants us to follow his example. They know, those people who lead like Jesus, they they, they know that this leadership, this witness exists in all facets, in all sectors of our livings. Our our map, the goal is that our map, the map of our lives, doesn't have any white space. That's the goal. That's what we're striving for. You see, I believe that God calls us to live an integrated public witness. I believe that. I believe God gives us the power and the opportunity to do it. I believe God is calling each and every one of us to be servant leaders, to lead like Jesus, which means that we strive to be the same person in the pew as we are at the dinner table, as we are in the locker room, as we are in the classroom, as we are in the conference room, as we are at happy hour, as we are in private, as we are in the athletic field as we are in managing finances, as we are in book club and Bible study, as we are in the voting booth, as we are in the decisions we make in what gets our best time and energy and attention, as we are in therapy, as we are uh, when someone tells a racist joke, we're that same person when we see someone whose voice is muted or marginalized in our community. That is integrated public witness. There is no space where the gospel does not want to touch. There's no space where the gospel does not seek to form and transform our lives. And it's in public that these competencies of leadership, of stewardship, of developing others, of authentic listening, persuasion, empathy, healing, vision, and intuition are embodied. Friends, our call as leaders, not just in this church but outside of this church, is to possess a leadership that exists in public, in public spaces, the public spaces that we exist, that we wear Christ's jersey as his witnesses, that we establish spiritual cell phone towers so there is coverage, that we lead like Jesus by understanding our witness moves beyond the personal, 
and enters the public, moves beyond the private and enters the public. That's what the world needs now. That's who we're called to be. May we strive to lead like Jesus in public ways. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. And all of God's people say, amen.